Hi, and welcome to Five Compelling Questions with Sean. This is the podcast where we speak with writers um, about writing and creativity and books and whatever else sort of pops into our heads during uh, the time that we spend together. I'm really excited to have um, my guest today. It is Sky Alexander. How are you doing, Sky? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm actually doing really well. Thanks for asking. Um, I've had the pleasure of working with you on a couple books now, but I'm going to give you an introduction for our listeners. Um, I feel like I kind of know you a little bit well, so I'm going to let everyone else get to know you through uh, through this introduction and through our questions. Uh, Sky is the author of more than, I couldn't believe, more than 40 books, 40 fiction and nonfiction books. That is impressive. That's a lot of books. Her stories have been published in anthologies internationally, and her work um, has been translated into more than a dozen languages. And two, this is my favorite part. In 2003, she co-founded Level Best Books with a couple of her buddies, right? You uh, you brought this all about in, the, in 2003. Yes. <laughs> um, and the book we're going to talk about today is called What the Walls Know. Um, that's the second book in your new series, The Lizzie Crane Mysteries, that uh, Level Best is now publishing. The, the, the house that you built in 2003 got renovated with new editors and new, uh, new building, and now we're bringing out your books, which is, I just love the symmetry of that. I love to have it all comes together. So cool. <laughs> it is. It is. It's very cool. Um, this is also very cool. You're also an astrologer um, and a tarot reader. And you've trained as a medium, and that, that's amazing. And I think some some of your nonfiction books are about that in that realm, right? A lot that's of those. them are, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you're very witchy, which is cool. Um, <laughs> you're best known for your many meta metaphysical books, including magical astrology and the modern witch witch witchcraft book of tarot. <laughs> witchcraft book. I couldn't get that out of my out of my mouth. But um, today we're not talking about witchcraft or tarot. We're talking about your historical series. Um, the Lizzie Crane Mysteries. So tell us a little bit about What the Walls Now. Well, it is set in 1925, October, and my protagonist is a jazz singer from New York City. She and her band have been invited to perform at a Halloween birthday party for an occultist in a creepy castle. And when they get there, they um, are surprised to find out that they're going to be surrounded and actually trapped in this castle with um, real witches and wizards and ghosts and tarot readers and uh, mediums and all kinds of weird people. Mm -hmm. Oh, you say tarot. I always say tarot. Is there two? Is it? There's two ways to. Is there? Is there a proper way to say tarot or tarot? You can say either one is fine. Either one. It's like tomato, tomato, whatever, wherever you are in the country or uh, in the world. <laughs> yeah, different exactly. I'm from Massachusetts, but I live in Texas now. So I sometimes get, you know, a little bit of both in my accent. Yeah, I can hear both. I hear I hear Texas for mm -hmm. sure, but I also hear the the uh, the Massachusetts. So that's I'm from like I grew up in Florida in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So that's like that was Valley Girl Central. You know, it was like L.A., Miami is where <laughs> like everyone talked like that. And like for some reason, that's why I talk weird. Then I lived in New York for almost 10 years and I have, I definitely have a New York, I talk way too fast. Um, I had to slow it down for podcasting. Um, but I'm originally from in the Midwest and my grandparents spoke totally differently. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I'm a big, I'm like a, I'm a mutt of, of accents and from around the, the country, but well, that's what makes it so great that we live here because everyone is from different places and we all are different and it's awesome. We would like to think. 
So um, we asked five questions and five compelling questions. And then mm -hmm. I was thinking, I had a, a moment where I was like, it's really actually five compelling answers because the answers are always more compelling than the questions. But here we go. Here's the first question for you. Um, how do you develop the voices of your characters? Uh, do you keep a Bible or some other method to bring your characters to life? Well, mostly I just listen to them. I've found that once I give my characters an opportunity to talk, they won't shut up. So mm -hmm. I don't really have to do a whole lot of imagining their voices. They just talk to me, they talk to each other, and I just listen. Um, and I, I also did, uh, because it's a period piece, I downloaded um, slang dictionaries from the period so that I could use terminology in their dialogue that was appropriate to the time period. So they say things like, you know, the bee's knees and um, things like, oh, get, uh, now you're on the trolley is one of my favorite ones, which yeah. means you finally got it. You know, you're going in the right direction now. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of slang terms like brown plaid for scotch, you know, a lot of prohibition type terms. So uh, they do use, you know, language from the time period. Um, I don't keep a Bible really, but I do make uh, character descriptions, if you will, for each of my characters. And in those, I uh, include things like not only their physical uh, appearance, but also their interests, their habits, uh, their strengths and weaknesses, um, their gestures, different things like that, that will help me get to know them better and also keep me on track when I'm writing. So I remember, well, does this character have blue or green eyes? You know, that sort of thing. Oh yeah, you'll hear about it from your readers if you mess Absolutely. that up. Somebody, somebody remembers it and they'll be like, hey, guess what, by the way, yeah, <laughs> you messed this true. up. And then you're always like, it's like that, that stomach falling moment of like, oh no, how did I do that? Um, I had someone, it was actually, luckily it was a beta reader because one of my characters was allergic to shellfish. And then later on in the book, her friend brings brings home. She doesn't need it, but her friend brings home crab dip because you know I'm from Maryland, oh. and uh, I live in Maryland. I'm not from I'm not really from anywhere, but I've lived in Maryland the longest, and we love crabs here. So um, I always have crab something in my stories usually. But um, somebody called me out on that, and I, I even though she didn't eat it, her her this person was like, well, her friend wouldn't bring it over, you know, because her friend she knows. should know. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, oh, good point. So I never they never eat anything with seafood ever for the rest of the books. So like, That's it. <laughs> I'm not falling into that trap again. I just totally forgot because, you know, you add it later because it was, it ended up being a clue later on. And then you just, you know, your brain doesn't remember every single instance of whatever you did, obviously, because we're not insane. Um, yeah. We drive well, ourselves insane, but we're not quite there yet. <laughs> well, I'm fortunate to have a really nitpicky uh, writing group and they catch everything, mm -hmm. but that doesn't That's mean that you won't also catch stuff when you get it into your, which you did too. You caught um, a couple of typos that I noticed and yeah. That's yeah, but it's your because your brain is telling you what it's supposed to say, and your brain knows the story. So that you have to, and it's really great that you have those support people because they don't know they they haven't been pouring over it and thinking of it for months and years or whatever and writing it down, mm -hmm. and so they're coming to it fresh, and they they all those things pop right out <laughs> to you when it's not yeah. your story. So it's awesome. It's a good process. It's good to have a, a critique group. I think um, if you if you're up for it, and if if they're good, I just um, had a conversation yesterday with Jeffrey Deaver, who's the episode before okay. you. And he says he doesn't do critique groups, but he thinks they're good. No offense, but he's just, he goes, I don't play nice with others. <laughs> so he, doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't do it. <laughs> I'm like, well, I think we should all listen to what you do, but everyone does everything differently. Like he's a major outliner, like any, anyway, 
this is interesting. That's why I love the show because everyone has different, you know, we all get to the end point in a different way. And that's what I think is one of the most cool, coolest things about being a writer. You get to the, you get to your end point in any kind of way that works for you. And it's a creative outlet. It's very fun. Right. Well, so. it is a cooperative venture, I think. I mean, you and, and Verena, of course, editing my pieces, but all the other beta readers and some of the people that, you know, as I said, in my writing group that all help with this. It's a book is, you know, like a village I and mean, creating a book is like a village. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if, you know, if one villager, you know, is ill, then sometimes it throws everything off. But, <laughs> but hopefully, we, you know, the village is strong again. We'll see. All right. Question number two for you is... Do you have, oh, this is a good question. Do you have a favorite character that you've written? Um, I always think one, it might be like choosing between your children. Or, and if so, what is it about that character that you like so much? Well, right now, because I'm writing this mystery series, my protagonist, Lizzie Crane, is my favorite character. And um, she's a independent and outspoken and kind of gutsy um, young woman in a time period where a lot of women's roles and ideas were changing. Um, so I have fun writing about her and writing about that period of 1925, 26, which was very colorful, uh, very exciting time between the end of World War I and the depression when people were having fun. And um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting and exciting for me to write about her, but she's also, um, kind of a, a little insecure and vulnerable about her background. She comes from a poor Irish immigrant family in the Bronx. She's a high school dropout and she's um, being hired now to go and perform for very wealthy elite people and meeting um, you know, high level executives and very educated and prominent people. So it, I'm, I like the fact that she has both sides to her personality. But um, yeah, I, I think um, one of the things that is interesting to me is always getting to know my characters and watching them interact and see how they evolve through the story because I don't necessarily come into the story knowing what is gonna happen. And mm -hmm. that's part of what I think we're gonna be talking about in a, in a, in a bit too. Um, but watching how they interact and watching them develop through the process as I develop as a writer. Absolutely. Yeah. And I really like Lizzie too, because she's bold and yet humble. She's got, she's very well defined. And I think that is the strength of any character that you're going to remember. Um, you know, and I think some books you just remember the plot and some books you really remember the characters. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot of times it's either or. But your characters yeah. really come through. They shine through, and she really does. She's got her own personality, and she's gutsy, but yet she's a woman of her time. So I th it's mm -hmm. a really cool combination of things that you. It's she's got a lot of texture to her, is mm -hmm. my opinion. As your editor, I, yeah, thank you. I also wanted to make her musical because I've always wanted to be a musician. I can't play anything. I can't sing. So in that sense, okay, she can be my alter ego. She can be this this tall, beautiful brunette who can sing and. Uh, do things that I can't possibly do. Mm -hmm. It's fun to live vicariously through your characters yeah. for sure. Yeah. When I created Penelope for the red carpet catering books, she was, mm -hmm. she got her, she had her stuff together way earlier than I did. She's like, I'm going to have a business and I'm going to, you know, she had, she just had her, you know, all of her stuff together, right. You know, much earlier. So that's okay. But we all get there in the, in the end. It's okay. <laughs> we, eventually you get there, hopefully. Okay. So third question. Has anything you've ever written surprised you? Um, in other words, you had no idea that something was going to happen and it turns up on the page, which probably you were foreshadowing when you talked about 
writing, you know, organically versus heavy, heavy outlining. So you take it away. Yes, it happens all the time. And um, in what the walls know, I didn't even know who done it until very near the end of the book. So yes, it, it, and I think that's really when, um, when it's best, I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm basically just the designated typist and the muse is speaking through me and my characters are leading me in the direction they want me to go. So yeah, stuff pops up all the time that I had no idea. Like in my very first mystery, which is one that you didn't publish, but um, I didn't know until about halfway through who done it. And one day I was driving down the highway and one of the characters got in the car and said, well, we've all gotten together, meaning the characters in the book, and we decided it's time that you know who you know the villain is. So I'm here to tell you it was me. <laughs> I had no so idea. So your work is, yeah, so your work as a medium has helped you out with your fictional work. <laughs> Maybe You're hearing voices. Led. Maybe that's what yeah. led to it. Now I wanted to, uh, I wanted to bring in that in What the Walls Know because there are mediums in the story and a tarot reader and an astrologer and they um the information the, the occult information that they get serves as clues to you know for the readers as they're trying to solve the mystery in the story yeah that's great well very cool it all works but however you're getting it done it's it's working so just keep mm -hmm. keep it up Keep, keep surprising us and, and yourself. <laughs> so, so it's good. I do think there's an, I think it does come through to the, on the reader and the reader experiences, you know, there's an edginess to it when you don't really know, you know, and you're just kind of like racing in the train towards the end. And, <laughs> and I think some of that excitement as the writer comes through at the end result to the reader, I could just be making that up in my head, but sometimes I think I'm, sometimes I think my weird thing, things I say are right. Um, so another next question, there's, this is number four. Um, how did you choose the setting for your novel? Is it based on personal experiences? Yes, all of my, well, first of all, settings are really important to me. And often I'll get the setting before I get the plot. And so, yes, all of them are also from personal experience. This, uh, in the wall, what the walls know, there really is a castle very much like the one in the story, it was in, it's not exact. That castle actually did not exist at the time that the story was written, it was, was built four years later. But it, there is a creepy castle on a promontory on the ocean uh, in Massachusetts, just like that. And it belonged to an inventor uh, named uh, John Hammond and it still exists and I have been there. In fact, every single place that is mentioned in any of my books, if it ever really existed, and if it's still there, I've been there, whether it's a house, a museum, a restaurant, a hotel, um, factory building, um, a graveyard, everything, I've been there. Okay, that's cool. So you, all of it is directly firsthand experience. So that's very good. Well, it, that also, you know, I can see, I could see the setting. I could see the castle. I could smell, I felt like I could smell the, the salt water. When I was reading your your uh, your book, like it just see, I just felt like I was up there with them, you know, just kind of hanging out. <laughs> well, good. And in danger, and in danger, and the, it's just cool that they're jazz singers, and you know, she doesn't smoke, but there was a lot of smoking, and they, she always looks beautiful in her dresses and stuff like that. So it's just well, a she fun. Smoke. She's a singer, you know. It yeah. Damage your voice. Yeah. Plus, it's gross. Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you kids out there, don't don't pick it up. Don't pick up that habit. Um, but that, a lot of people did back then. So they were like, smoking is good for you. It keeps you skinny. You know, that's what they used well, to tell us. at that time, us. you know, a lot of people smoked and there was a lot of drinking despite prohibition. Oh, yeah. And also a lot of drugs. 
Yeah. 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 But the heroin, heroin was sort of, was really big back then. I remember it wasn't like discovered in the seventies. I mean, Oh no, it was, it was of... legal up until 1923. That's crazy. Really? Were, there, were they putting, were they putting cocaine in, in like Coke, Coca-Cola? Yeah. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah. But heroin was actually patented by the bear company as a non-addictive treatment for morphine addiction. And it was legal oh. up until 1923 and people used it for all kinds of things. I mean, like when their kids were teething or it was a big treatment for tuberculosis at that time. Wow. That's a, that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, was everyone happier then? I don't know. <laughs> we should go. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. We shouldn't go back to that. We're not going back know. to that. But opium too people... was really popular and um, people were smoking marijuana and all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah. Well, we've been trying to get high for since I think man was created. <laughs> we've been trying to escape reality for a really long time. We didn't, we didn't invent that for sure. All right. Well, that's very, thank you for the education on uh, legal, legal drugs that are now illegal and people going to jail for. Um, so fifth and final question, which is we, the final question always kind of do a little bit something different. If you couldn't write, what would you do instead? I would do astrology and tarot readings, which I've done for decades. And I've, as we mentioned earlier, I've written a number of books about both. I think I've, um, about six or seven, maybe, maybe more on those subjects. Um, and I still do them every once in a while. It's fun and it helps people. Um, yeah. So, you know, like particularly at parties or um, on Halloween, which, uh, which is called Samhain, and that's what it's called in my book. Um, th there usually are events that we have in my town, and I'll do tarot readings for people there just you know, for fun. fun. Yeah. My, uh, my best friend um, does, she does them like on Saturday nights at a bar near... Uh -huh. Antietam Battlefield because we live really close to Antietam Battlefield so she the, she and her and her husband does the ghost tours so you can okay. set up and do a ghost tour and then she'll read your cards and we we did like a girls weekend getaway thing recently mm -hmm. and she did all of ours at the point it was really fun and mine mine said I was yeah and it was it's always very encouraging my mom used to read our cards a lot when we were little um she was really into it back in the day mm -hmm. like in the you know 80s 70s and 80s um but she, mine said something like I was going to overcome a really hard struggle and I was going to be victorious in the end. It was like the guy with coming into the town with his staff, you know, and he was all happy that he won the battle. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yay, that's perfect for me. I'll take that. <laughs> this year's been a battle for sure. Yeah, that sounds right. I was very encouraged by it. And, you know, yeah. And I think, I think it's way too, you know, people discount it or whatever, but it's way too, it's like in our fabric of our being. Like I've known about tarot since I was a little kid. So it just, it is, oh. a, it's a real thing. Like it's around and it's, it's accurate. I think it's really cool to, to get your cards read and to just sort of see what other insight is that might be from someone else's interpretation of your spread. I think it's fun. It's a fun thing to do. Well, it gave me also a background that I could write about these characters in my book. And the one um, who is a tarot reader appears in three of the novels. And it's a good way for me to plant clues for readers. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're doing all the right stuff. I'm very impressed. You have, a, very color, you have a very colorful and a ton of, you've got a ton of work out there. So it's amazing. And it all, it all ties together, which I really like because I have OCD. <laughs> all right. So we, we do a rapid fire quiz um, mm -hmm. at the end. So you have to do it. Sorry. All right. And I'm really curious about answer to number one, because I have a, I have a very unscientific theory that people from the North really like 
um, warm weather and people from not the north like cool weather, but we'll see what you say. Number one, summer or winter? Summer. That's why I'm in Texas. Oh, we have four seasons here. We have almost summer, summer, still summer, and Christmas. (laughs) That's right. So much different from Boston, Massachusetts, I I would assume. Because it's like just winter straight through the whole year, I think there, or they get like a couple of weeks of maybe a little bit warm, but it's pretty cold. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Every time I go up there, I'm like, holy crap, it's cold here. <laughs> I love it though. But um, I grew up with no seasons in Florida, so I get it. And then we moved here. Uh-huh. I was 15 and I was like, oh, and I was just blown away by the leaves changing. Like that was just earth shattering to me to see a leaf change. I couldn't believe the colors, you know, and I never saw that before yeah, in my life. I missed so. that. Yeah. So I would go to Indiana for Christmas, but it was already, all the leaves were gone. And it was cold by the time I, I didn't go there for the fall. So I didn't really ever get to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, cool. Well, all right, good. So number two, sweet or savory? Savory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Texas barbecue. Um, number three, comedy or drama? Drama. Yeah. Okay. You seem a little, you seem very lighthearted. I would think you would be a comedy person. <laughs> But then you'd kind of delve into the darker aspects of life. So that's, I'm, I'm always trying to well, psychoanalyze my guests. I write mysteries, you know, I don't write yes. comedies. <laughs> this is my armchair psychoanalyzing people. Okay, number four, early bird or night owl? Night owl. Oh, okay. Well, that that follows. I can see that. And a lot of early bird witch, witchcraft happening, I don't think. <laughs> it's usually <laughs> nighttime, nighttime activities for witching. Um, and the final one is the most scintillating and controversial one, usually coffee <laughs> or tea. Coffee. Yeah. Coffee all day, every day, or just in the morning? Just in the morning. Okay. You're not, you're not crazy. That's good. (laughs) Some people are like, I drink it all day long. What do you mean? How do you go to sleep? Well, very good. So what is going on with you now? What is going on? What's coming up next? You're working on another book. Are you out on tour? What's happening? Well, I've already submitted to Verena, um, the third and fourth, uh, in the series and I'm working on the fifth one now. And Verena suggested for the six, I mean, I hope to keep writing them as long as people are interested in reading them. She said, I should do one in New Orleans, which I thought was a great idea. I mean, jazz was very uh, big in New Orleans in the, well, it still is, but um, in the 20s. And it would give me a chance to go to the Big Easy again. Absolutely. That'd be, oh yeah, that's a town that's very close to her heart. Um, so, and I really love it there too. And that's really, that's very exciting. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a murderino, so I'm like constantly listening to true crime stuff. And I just, wasn't there like a, there was like a big murder house in the middle of the French Quarter. Like, I think it was in the twenties. There was one of those, it was like an H.H. Holmes guy. One of the, you know, like mm-hmm. that guy, it was like that. So there was, there's also a lot of really creepy, crazy, true crimey stuff that's happened in that era in yeah. New Orleans. I mean, there's stuff happening there today too, but yes. you know what I mean? <laughs> true, those true, classic true. crimes are kind of fun to, to dive into and do some research on. And then as a writer, you're like, oh my God, it's five o'clock and I haven't written anything. So I've been reading about murders all day. <laughs> 1920s. Um, it's just part, it's research. It's work. It's work. It's I research, promise. Right? Yeah. You have to do it. Um, well, thank you so much. I, it was just lovely to, to talk to you. Um, the books are great. Tell everybody the names of the books again, so they can go out and get them. Okay. The two, the first one in the series is called never try to catch a falling knife. And the second one is what the walls know. Do you want me to tell you what the ones in the future are too, or is that they're not available yet? Most, it's the Lizzie Crane mystery. So everyone just has yeah. to stay tuned and they can get those ones. But I love your titles. So I'm always and curious about- covers. <laughs> you oh, did the covers thanks. for them and they're wonderful. Oh, thank you. I do. You're, you're, 
I try not to have favorites, but I do love yours a lot. So <laughs> I love a lot of the covers, but yours are really and you've fun. Already, you've already done the one for the fifth book in the series too, even though you haven't read it yet. That's right. I love when work is done for me ahead of time. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one less thing on the, on the deadline roller for the day. Very good. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, you're a joy to talk to and we, I'm going to have you back next time your next book comes out. So we'll talk again and then we'll know we'll figure, well, it'll be a cliffhanger. We'll wait till you hear what the title is when we, when the listeners come back next year. (laughs) That would be great. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and it's just a great opportunity. Oh, well, you're so sweet. Well, thank you again and have a great rest of your day. You too. Thank you.